Wow. Awesome. Well, it's really great to gather together as a church this morning and be together. Also, it's great if you're joining us online. It's great to see. I had a quick look at a few people online. I just want to say a big hello to Lucy Wells, who's watching online from her hospital bed. We love you. Can't do it. And we're praying for you as well. And uh, it's so good. You can take your seats if you're in the room. Jeannie and I have just got back off holiday. We got back off holiday on Friday and uh, been looking forward. Also, notice today, just like we did last week, a few people on holiday, actually online as well, tuning in online, which is so, so good. I mean, online church lets us do that, doesn't it? It's fantastic. And we're in our Summer Breeze series, and I'm doing the third part of our series this morning. And I want to ask you a question just as I begin. What's your favorite piece of summer clothing. You don't have to shout out in the room, but just think about it. Your favorite piece of summer clothing, it might be shorts, it, whatever, it might be whatever. You can put it in the comments, put it in the chat if you're watching online, you can do that. Well, I, I want to tell you my least favorite piece of summer clothing. It's actually the flip-flop. Uh, these aren't my flip-flops, as you can tell, my feet are too big for these, but these are actually uh, Rachel, my daughter-in-law's flip-flops, and they're size UK 5 stroke 6, so she's got small feet, and uh, they're her flip-flops. But it's my least favorite piece of summer clothing, and um, the reason for that is I had a bad experience with a flip-flop. Uh, I got my first pair of flip-flops a few years ago, and... Uh, because I thought they were essential summer wear. You know, I don't like wearing socks at any time, but you know what I thought, I've got to have some flip-flops. Everyone works them, wears them. It seems that all the young people are wearing them. It's cool. Even people were coming onto stage with flip-flops, you know, and things like that. So I thought, I need a first pair of flip-flops for the holiday. And the first thing I noticed when I put the flip-flop on was it was uncomfortable between the toes. Anybody with me? And uh, uncomfortable between... The next thing is that when they get wet, you actually still slide all over inside of them. So they're not that, they're not that safe. And, uh, and then I've got these flip-flops on and I'm struggling with them and I'm traveling downhill, traveling, you know, not in a car, I'm walking down a hill and uh, the discomfort gets worse between the toes and then that centerpiece pulls out. And my feet, but my feet keep going. And uh, I stub my toes, not my toe, I stub my toes on the gravel. And actually, the flip-flop makes me flip-flop. I actually go shoulder over on my shoulder, head over heels. The flip-flop made me flip-flop. And from that day, I vowed I would never wear flip-flops again. And I haven't. I did think about preaching in a pair of flip-flops as an illustration today, but I just couldn't do it because of the bow. You see, that day, my perspective on the flip-flop changed. My thoughts flipped. I flipped my thoughts that day. I, I thought they were cool at one point, but then I discovered they were dangerous. I, I thought that they were essential, but then I discovered they were to be avoided. Well, for me, they were to be avoided at all costs. I thought everybody should wear them in the summer, but then I realized they weren't for me. And I wonder today whether there's some perspective that I have, whether there's some perspective and thought that you have that God wants to completely flip. 
Some thought that God wants to flip. I mean, the title of this message is flip-flop because of that illustration. But my title really is flip your thoughts. Flip your thoughts. Because I believe that we need to ensure that next time won't be the same as last time. And I wonder, like me, if after doing something, you know, you've done, making a decision, you've had some regrets, and you've asked that question, how do I make sure next time isn't the same as last time? Uh, With the flip-flop, it was pretty easy, just don't wear them. But it's a great question, isn't it? How do we make sure next time isn't the same as last time? It's a great question, but one I don't think we pause long enough to answer. We ask the question, what was I thinking? Which is a great question, but we don't answer that question in our thinking. But we're going to do that this morning. We're going to pause long enough to think about what was I thinking. We're going to teach ourselves to ask that question, not as a throwaway line, but as a serious question. And we're going to encourage one another this morning. We're going to encourage each other online to pause long enough to answer the question, what was I thinking? And here's why. Here's why it's important. Because if I can identify what I was thinking, I can think differently next time in the future. And if I can think differently in the future, I won't make the same mistakes. Or we could say it like this. If I can identify what I was thinking, I can think different thoughts, and that will lead to a better outcome. We all want to do that, right? We all want to make better decisions. We all want to, you know, not repeat mistakes that we've done in the past. And so I'm with you today, and I want us to jump right in. I want us to jump right into some words that were written by the Apostle Paul. It was actually written to the church in Rome, AD 57, or 57 CE, as we're now meant to call it. And Paul's writing these words 57 years after Christ, and I want you to imagine you're there in Rome. It's the center of the empire. It's the city of the day. You live in Rome. Nero is the emperor. He became emperor at 17. He's been emperor for three years. He's 20. And in a couple of years' time, Nero's not got it all together, by the way, because in a couple of years' time, he would kill his mother, murder his mother, and then he would kill two of his wives. And Nero at 20 as the emperor has got this position where he must be obeyed. He must be followed. And he demanded that. Every Roman emperor demanded that from his subjects. And you and I are living in Rome and we're followers of Jesus. And so Paul writes to the Roman Christians. He writes these words in Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2. Therefore... I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And then he goes on in verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Don't think like everybody else. Flip your thoughts. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Notice how powerful Paul says our thoughts are, that they have the power to transform us. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, is good, pleasing, and perfect will. Offer 
your bodies to God. Not to Nero. Nero's not the one to be obeyed, more must be obeyed. He's not saying rebel against the powers and rebel against the authorities. He teaches the opposite of that. But he's saying our proper worship is to offer our bodies to God. That worship is an offering. It's an offering of our life to God. You know, some of us sometimes think, well, maybe I'll just believe. And I'll keep it on the QT. I'll keep it on the quiet. I can imagine if you were a Roman Christian and you were, it was demanded of you that you show allegiance to Nero and you show allegiance to Rome and you were living in Rome. I can imagine there are many Christians who are thinking, I'll just keep my Christianity on the quiet. You know, I'll just be, but Paul says you can't do that. You need to offer your body as a living sacrifice to God. Uh, maybe I'll just go along, some of them thought, with the Nero stuff, you know, with the imperial cult worship stuff. But in my heart, I'll love Jesus. And I'll know in my heart, I'll love Jesus. Well, Paul says you're not to offer your heart, you're to offer your body, your whole being as a living sacrifice. He says you can't do that. You can't just offer your heart. Perhaps Paul knows that some of the Romans are struggling with this. Just like we will do in our, our context. You know, the gospel always challenges the present moment that we live in. And some of us will be tempted in similar fashion, but in a very different way. And the Romans are struggling with this. And they know that their confession, Jesus is Lord, is tantamount to saying, Nero or Caesar is not and Jesus has my allegiance first. And that could get you into real trouble. And Paul knows they're struggling. They can't overcome their fears. They can't overcome their worries. They don't, they're questioning, how do I live as a Christian in a world that demands my allegiance? A world I don't agree with. And some of them are making bad decisions. They're making choices around self-preservation or self-entertainment or self-indulgence rather than choices around serving God. And they've got regrets, but they keep doing it. And so Paul says, flip your thinking, because that will transform you. Think, Paul asked them to think, how do we ensure what we do next time is not the same as last time? And so he says, don't conform. Don't conform to the pattern of this world. Don't think like everybody else, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, if you think the way you've always thought, you'll do the things you've always done. We have to flip it. We have to flip our thinking. You've got to think differently about some things. We've got to change our mind. And if we think differently about some things, look what Paul says. You will be able to test and approve what God's will is. In other words, if you can think in the right way, if our thoughts can travel in the right direction, you will know God's will. You can know God's will for your life. You can live in God's will. God's will for your marriage. God's will for your job and your career. God's will for your family, for your health, for your finance. You can know God's will, Paul says, through your thoughts. I know some people might ask the question, well, why would I want to know God's will? I'd rather just keep God's will in the background, you know, in the mist, in the fog of the background. I'd rather do my will and just ask God to bless that. I mean, like, can't I just do that? 
Can't I just do whatever I want and ask God to bless that? And maybe no one asked that question on the outside. But I don't know if you're like me. I've asked that question on the inside. I remember in 1999, I'd um, put in my... I'd been leading what's now Icon Church for 12 years. We'd started the church with no people. And the church, you know, over 12 years had steadily grown. And it was now, we felt, the leaders of the church felt it was time for me to give my attention full-time to leading Icon Church. And so I'd got a good job. And I put in my resignation, resigning from that job. And I think it was six months' notice I had to give. And so... This was the end of 99. I would actually leave at the end of January 2000 and start serving the church and leading the church full-time from February the 1st. And towards, I can't remember exactly when, but towards the end of that notice period in 1999, I was head-hunted. I got a good job. I was leaving a good salary. I got a company car and a few other benefits in kind. And I was going to step out in faith. I would lose those benefits, I would, my salary would be reduced drastically, but I knew it was the will of God, and so I was excited, because for me, God's will was more important than my will, and, and more, more like what Paul's excited when he talks to these Christians, you'll know what God's will is, and so God's will was far more exciting than that, but then I got headhunted, and uh, <clears throat> out of nowhere, I received a phone call. And the person on the other end of the phone says, you've been recommended to us because you did this project. And of course, I knew about the project. And uh, this company has recommended, us, uh, recommended you to us. Would you do an interview? And I said, no, I, like, there's no point because in a few months, I'm leaving this job and I'm actually going to be church minister full time. And then they said, well, you know, before you make your final decision, let's just tell you how much we'd pay you. Well, the salary was two and a half times the amount I was earning in the good job. No, no, yeah, you, that was, and that got me thinking, you know. It wasn't two and a half times what I was going to earn at church. It was two and a half times what I was already earning. Plus, they were going to relocate my family first to Singapore, and then eventually, after a year, to Australia. We'd... And so I took the interview. I took the interview, and I got the job offer. And I began to think, well, maybe I could just take this, and God will bless me. Maybe, maybe this is, you know, I could just accept this. You, you can understand the dilemma, can't you? You can understand the struggle. You know, maybe I can do whatever I want, because God loves me, right? He loves me. He wants the best for me. It's not a problem if I want to take that job, if, if I want to live in Australia, you know, if I want to do that. But I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it because I knew it wasn't God's will. It might be God's will for somebody, but it wasn't God's will for me. I had to think differently. I had to think differently about the money, you know. That money would have been so good for me, but God had something better than just the money. I had to think differently about Australia. I had to stop comparing Australia with Chesterfield or Staveley, where I live. I had to stop making that comparison because I could have, we could have lived in Australia, <clears throat> but God had something better for me. 
When I say, well, I can put God's will in the background, I can just do my will and ask God to bless that, it may not be Nero that I'm worshiping, but I'm worshiping something, and it's not Jesus. It's not him. I've put myself or something in the place that's reserved for Jesus. And here's why Paul says don't do that. First of all, because Jesus is Lord. I was thinking back to my baptismal confession. I mean, many of you, I'm sure, maybe online or even in the room have been baptized. And I was thinking back to my baptismal confession. You remember the question that they asked you? Do you confess that Jesus Christ is Lord? And you said, I do. And they said, on the confession of your faith, your faith, and that word faith there means allegiance. On the confession of your allegiance to Jesus as Lord, we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They didn't baptize you saying, because you believe Jesus died for you. No, on your confession that Jesus is Lord. Paul says that's, you can't do that. And second, Paul says the second reason not to do it is because you'll know God's will in your life. And then he says this in Romans 12 too, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now get this, God's will for your life, for my life, for our life is good, pleasing, and perfect. I wonder if somebody today needs to hear that. I wonder if someone today needs to flip their perspective on following Jesus, on serving Jesus, on sharing their faith, on prayer. Maybe someone needs to flip their thoughts on marriage, relationship, finances. Maybe you've been holding back in some area of following Jesus because you've been afraid and you've been scared and you've been worried. You need to hear today, God's will is good, pleasing, and perfect. You know, we can just keep thinking wrong thoughts, and in our mind, sometimes they go at a thousand miles an hour, don't they? Blah, 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 all this noise, all these thoughts, all these ways of thinking. But God is saying today that if we can change that, if we can change that, we will change. And our circumstances will change, our outlook will change, our future will change. You know, I I don't know, but what I do know is that if you can transform your thinking, you can know God's will. And as you discover God's will, you'll find God's will to be good, pleasing, and perfect. That word perfect, by the way, in the Greek means complete. It means fitting. It means fitting for you. It means full, nothing missing. What God has for you lacks nothing. It's got nothing missing. It might not be full of the stuff you think, like Australia and that salary, but what God has for you will not have anything missing. His will is good, pleasing, and perfect. You know, I, I knew as a teenager I wanted to serve Jesus, and I, I, when, when I met Jeannie, I used that, you know, that was like her interview. Like, I, I'm going to serve Jesus. Do you want to go out with me? That wasn't quite how I asked her if she would go out with me. I asked her, do you know somebody called Johnny Green? Because I worked with a guy called Johnny Green. And if she knew Johnny Green, we weren't going out. But, but, but I did say to her, I'm going to serve Jesus. Do you, want to, do you still want to go out with me? Because right back then, I said to her, because if I'm going to serve Jesus, so we'll never have anything really. We'll never have much money. We might end up living in some mud hut somewhere in the world. Because, you see, I hadn't read this verse properly. 
that the revelation is that God's will is good. It's pleasing and perfect. Yes, it might be different to my vision of the good life, but it will be the good life that God has, and it will be good, pleasing, perfect, complete, nothing missing, full in my life. You know, I, I thought, like, there would be stuff we would miss out on. But, you know, sacrifice can actually be the, give you the ex, help you to experience the very thing that gives you life and hope and energy and purpose. We need, don't we, to flip our thoughts sometimes about the will of God. You know, Paul writes about this in other places too. You know, and I, I just want to say that... Uh, uh, sacrifice is not as bad as the word sounds. It actually can be that thing that gives life and hope to us. Paul writes about this in other verses too. I want to share a couple, and then I want to share some assumptions, some thoughts that we have that maybe we could do with flipping. Let me just read this, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. Paul writes, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Let me translate this for us. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as the King Jesus has. Every time we see the word Christ, we have to remember that's the word for the King in God's kingdom. The word Christ is not Jesus' last name. In fact, he was known as Jesus of Nazareth you know, in his life. But the word Christ means this is God's Messiah. This is God's sing, King. So every time you read or hear the word Christ, you are declaring Jesus is Lord. Jesus is King. The King in God's kingdom. And Paul writes to the believers, I want you to have a serving mindset, just like the servant King Jesus has. I want you to serve others just like the servant King Jesus serves others. Effectively, if saying, if the king can do it, if the king can serve, so should we. If a king can become a servant, so can we. Paul is asking them to change their thoughts, to think like God, that here this king of the universe becomes human. He becomes like us. He didn't grasp at privilege or honor. He gave up power for others. And he served God and he served people. And Paul says, if the king can do it, so can we. Jesus abandoned project self and he embraced God's kingdom vision. And you can do that. I can do that if we can change our mind, if we can flip our thoughts. We're all tempted sometimes to think, well, I'll miss out. If I, if I adopt God's will in this area of life, maybe I'll miss out. The fear of missing out is actually not the same as missing out. Because you never come second by putting God first. God's will, Paul says, is good, pleasing, and perfect. Not only that, God's will is eternal. And so Paul is encouraging us, swap the temporary for the eternal. Swap the momentary for the everlasting. Flip your thoughts. One more scripture. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 to 24. Paul's now talking to a, a group of Christians in Ephesus, modern-day Turkey. A few years later, and he says this, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your whole self 
I love that verse because it gives us an insight in what the Christians were taught when they first became Christians. Put off your old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires and being made new in the attitude of your mind. Think differently. Put off your old self. Put off your old and be made new and put on the new self to be created, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul says the first thing we need to do is put off our old self, our old way of thinking, And then we can put on a new self, a new way of thinking, thinking like God. It's Paul again. Take off the old you before you put on the new you. Why can't I just put on the new, I would want to ask him. Why can't I just be like, why can't I just put on the new? Well, have you ever painted on rust? Have Have you ever done that job where you add the new to the old. Jesus told us parable about it, didn't he? He said, no one sews a new patch of cloth into, onto an old garment because it just doesn't work. It pulls away. He says, no one puts new wine into an old wineskin because what happens when you put on the new before taking off the old is that the new just peels off. Anyone else got one of those paint jobs? painted over the rust, painted over the damp, and then just a few months later, you're painting again. It doesn't last. It's why some of us have made promises to God, commitments and promises that don't last. It's the new us. We've made those decisions. We've prayed those prayers. It's the new us. I'm putting on the new, but we forgot to take off the old, and the new just peels off. Paul's helping us this morning by saying, you take off the old, You take some time to dismantle some bad thinking. Take some time to dismantle old thoughts. Because if you think like you've always thought, you will get what you've always got. God has more for us. God has more for us. Sometimes over the years, people have said, I don't want more. I'm happy. Well, that's an old thought. I'm not saying be dissatisfied with your life or be discontent. I'm not saying... That at all, but I am saying we are not aware of everything God has for us. We're not aware of everything God has prepared for us. And God has pre- is preparing us for something he has prepared for us. He's got more for you. He's got more for me. Until I experience that in my life, I've got to take down some old thinking. So a couple of thoughts this morning before we close. Here's the first Renewing your mind requires removing the old. You just can't paint over with the new. Renewing your mind means making a thought pattern that says, I'm not that person. That's an old way of thinking. That's not how I think. I have to do this all the time. My thoughts wander. My thoughts drift. They drift in a direction sometimes away from God, away from his will. And they drift towards my will. And I have to take off the old. I have to tear down that stronghold. I've discovered that sincerity and commitment is not enough. We know that from dieting, don't we? You know, I'm sincere. I want to lose weight. I'm, commi- I'm, I'm committed. But we know it's not enough. We have to change some old patterns. Regret and resolve are not enough. We need to renew our mind. And to renew our mind, we have to take 
down the old. Maybe the Holy Spirit is speaking to us today. I know he's speaking to me, and maybe he's speaking to you too, that actually there's some old thoughts that God wants to take down, some old patterns, some old ways of thinking. And the second thing is this, time is your friend. Renewing your mind takes time. It doesn't happen in an instant. You don't suddenly have old thoughts and new thoughts. You don't, you don't suddenly have new thoughts that push out old thoughts. It takes time. You have to tear it down. You have to pull it down. It's not quick. There are patterns of thoughts that have taken us years to establish. They won't be removed instantly, but they will be removed as we renew our mind in God's presence, in God's word, and with God's people. It's a daily work. It's a weekly work. It starts with a revelation that goes something like this. Isaiah 55, 6 and 8 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways. Isaiah says, to know God's thoughts, we have to forsake our thoughts and tear them down. God knows best. Let the, let's have the creative team, the worship team, come back just as I close. Here's a few assumptions. I think I've got about five of them. I just want to share them with you that can be stuck in our operating system and in our thinking. And maybe there are other things that God has spoken to you about or me about this morning. Here's, here's one that's quite common. If I find the right person, everything will be all right. If I find the right person, everything will be all right. But here's, that's the old thought. But the new thought is, if I become the right person, everything will be all right. If I become, if I become the person that the person I'm looking for is looking for, it takes a while, but you'll get there in that thought. The chances are you'll recognize that person when you see them. So many people, and as a pastor, I've seen it go from bad experience to bad experience because they're thinking, if I find the right person, everything will be all right, but they've never thought, if I become the right person, then the person I'm looking for, I'll recognize them. What about the second one is this? My situation is unique. I know what you're saying, Paul. I know I should follow God's will, but my situation, you don't know my, my situation is unique. No, your situation isn't unique. You are unique. You are made in the image of God. Nobody like you. Fashioned according to his plan and his purpose. But your situation isn't unique. That's why we can have counselors. That's why doctors can actually diagnose what's wrong with us. Because our bodies react pretty much the same. And have done for centuries. And we make this... The assumption that our situation is unique, it's not we're unique, but our situation is common. Is, it, is the sister to that assumption, I'm different. They've also got a cousin. It's this one, I'm special. And this is how we miss wise counsel. This is how we sometimes avoid God's will in our lives. I'm different, I'm special. What was I thinking? 
when I thought that, I'm different. When I thought, I, you know, I was unique. What was I thinking? Here's another one. It's not right, but it makes me happy. If it's not right, it won't turn out right. It's the wisdom. It's the wisdom of the scripture. And the last, well, no, I've got two more. The penultimate one then is this. If I only had X, I would be satisfied. But the truth is our appetites are never fully and finally satisfied. Are they? I mean, do you know anyone with just one tattoo? Anybody just one tattoo? For now, they've only got one tattoo. Now, hey, I am not against tattoo. I think they look brilliant on other people. But one leads to two and so on. And like I say, there's nothing wrong with tattoos. But our appetites are never fully and finally satisfied. And the last one, I'll miss out. And we've said it already, you never come second if you put God's, God first. God's will is good. He asks us today, he challenges us today, renew your thoughts, flip your thoughts today. And the result of our thoughts being flipped and our old thoughts being removed and his will being accepted is that we will know his will. And his will for our life is good, pleasing, and perfect. And his will fits you. His will fits you perfectly. It looks good on you, and it will look good on you in the future. Come on, church. Why don't we stand? Why don't we pray together this morning? Father, I thank you for your word today. I thank you for your encouragement. I thank you for your promise that the will of God for our lives is good, pleasing, and perfect. And Holy Spirit, I ask you to come. I ask you to speak to each and every one of us. We've all got work to do, Lord, to dismantle some old ways of thinking, maybe some old ways of thinking that have crept back in even in recent days. Help us to do that, to dismantle those thoughts, to forsake those thoughts, as Isaiah said, and to receive your will. And we thank you that it's good, it's pleasing, and perfect.